0: So today we're reading first Peter chapter 2 verses 11 to 17 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation be subject to Fear God, honor the emperor. Amen.
1: So, here we are back in First Peter, right? So Monday evening, as I'm kind of processing all of the stuff that's that was going on, I remembered that. Huh, that's interesting. This week is a a, a message on. Uh, being subject to or honoring or deferring or submitting to the authorities. <laughs> That's ironic. That's providential, actually, that God would have us in this very passage this very week. Because um, uh, isn't it easy to get so caught up in all of these external things that are going on and to forget that what God really wants for us is to live in such a way as to bring Him glory, and that's what that's what the title of this section is. Um, actually, I almost I almost thought about uh, titling the the purpose for God's people part two because last week we talked about the purpose for God's people in the previous section is worship. God was uh, Peter showed. His, his readers that he wanted them there so that they could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called them to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Those are our lives of worship. So those that's worship language. So the purpose for God's people is to worship God, but the purpose for God's people is then in that worship and in our conduct and in our lives, is to specifically bring him glory. So to glorify God. And we're, we're here in this in, in this section that we that Bill just read is the key verse in all of First Peter. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But that key verse, I want you to, to focus on it. and the, the kids have been given every week they've been given a little uh, a worship bulletin and it's got that verse in it and uh Miss Beverly was like I want these kids to memorize this verse I want them to memorize 1 Peter 2 verse 12 it's a great verse and it's a great reminder something that we need to hold on to and and boy I tell you uh parents and adults don't just let the kids memorize all the verses hide God's word in your own heart so that you can so that you won't will not sin against him and uh Boy, what a what a great passage! Well, let, let let's get into let's get into this section. I'm going to take it a little piece by piece, um, and and there probably will be many stones um, that will be left unturned, unfortunately. But let's see if we can get through there and grab some of these big ideas that that God wants for us. First, notice that he says, "Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain." From the passions of the flesh, right there in verse eleven, he's he says he says uh, he uses three words to describe the people that he's talking to. Number one, beloved. Why would he use the word beloved? Why would he call them beloved? Besides, it just sounds like a really old word. Or because they are beloved of God. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. They're beloved of God. They're not just. I mean, he he loves them. And so he could have called them dear friends. Some of the translations will say dear friends. Um, but he uses that word beloved because he wants to remind them, you guys are loved by God. God chose you. God loves you. You're God's people. He caused you to be born again. He loves you. And then he says that you are sojourners as exiles. Or he or kind of says it like this. Since you are sojourners and exiles... Um, He wants them to abstain. So he reminds them of what he started out his entire letter when he said, you are the elect exiles. You're chosen. You're different. You're special. You're not like everybody else. Once you come into the family of God, once you become part of his family, you're not like other people. God's got you in a completely different category. You are not of this world. You're in the world, but you're not of it. So he reminds him of that identity, and we've been talking about this every single week in First Peter, haven't we? It should be—you should think, man what's he going to get off of this identity? Because that's everything. Everything is based off of what God has made us to be. Everything that we do. Don't don't get your motives off onto something else. Hold on to your identity in Christ. That is, that is where everything comes from. So that's why Peter keeps going back to this over and over and over again. It's our identity. Then he says to abstain. My translation says to abstain. Some of the other ones might have it a little bit different. Essentially, what, and here's, here's kind of what it's literally meaning. Distance yourself from something. Distance yourself from, from what? From... The passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Create distance from those things. The passions of the flesh are these natural, physical, um, they're worldly motivations. When, we are, when we're motivated by self-preservation, that's a, that's a passion of the flesh. And the passion of the flesh, I think that sounds really dramatic, and in a way, it kind of is. But I think we think of passions of the flesh, like something, you know, illicit feelings or emotions or something like that. And it, and it certainly is that. But it could be any kind of desire, any kind of craving. That's, kind of, that's what the passion is, a desire, a craving for anything
0: that's not from God. Anything that's just going to serve me, that's going to
1: serve me this reference in here somewhere let me see yeah I'll put it in there we'll come back to that a little bit later but I want you to remember that anything that serves me that's about self is a passion of the flesh and then he says that these worldly I I like to call them worldly desires I just worldly seems like a good term Um, worldly desires these passions of the flesh are worldly desires they're actually literally waging war against our soul Maybe I shouldn't use literally either. But you know what I'm saying. They are waging war against our souls. There's a war going on for our individual souls. And the, and the war for our souls is the war against the new life that Jesus is trying to do in our hearts. Well, we, we talked, we mentioned this uh, last week. And he's, remember when he said that he wants us to long for, to crave for, to desire pure spiritual milk? That is the sustenance that comes from God. That's the new life that is offered through Jesus. Our craving and our desire should be for that. And he's saying that these passions of the flesh, things like malice and deceit, hypocrisies, jealousies, and all kinds of slander, different kinds of slander, these passions of the flesh, they're actually literally making war spiritually against the new life that Jesus wants to ha- to cause in our own lives. <laughs> so, to, to, this whole this whole idea then kind of leads me to the first big the first big idea in this passage, and that and that is that God's people glorify God by creating distance from worldly desires. He wants us to experience life in Jesus, but what he's saying is you can't you can't go to Jesus. If you're if you're hanging out with the worldly desires, if your buddies with the worldly desires, if your life is characterized by worldly desires, you can't experience life in Jesus. So create some distance from that. Um, one of the one of the stories that I love from from the Bible is the story of Joseph, and um, so. Set back. I want to tell you the whole story of Joseph. I'm not going to tell the whole story of Joseph, but you remember that one story of Joseph after he was sold by his brothers, sent off to Egypt, and then this this man named Potiphar bought him and said, "Okay, you'll be my servant, slave, and you'll take care of things." And hey, you're a pretty good you're a pretty good servant. You're really taking care of things. Um, I'll just promote you, promote you. And pretty soon, Joseph, why don't you just take care of everything in my house? It's all good. I'm just gonna make money and uh, and then you can just you can just run everything. So everything in your house, in this house, is yours to command and do whatever you want with, but just stay away from my wife, okay? Just don't don't touch my wife, and we'll be good. So Jess is like, hey, I can do that. I can do that, that that works with me, and that works with my my Judeo-Christian ethic, or at least Judeo ethic. Um, so that that's cool. Well then what happens? Potiphar's wife is like, I kind of like that Joseph. He's handsome. You know, my husband, he's busy. He's working all the time. He's making the big, the big bucks, but he doesn't have time for me. Maybe Joseph will spend some time with me. Maybe, maybe I can go to Joseph and get something I'm not getting from somewhere else. And so what does she do? She goes to, to Joseph, right? And Joseph creates distance from worldly desires by what? Literally... Running. Literally creating physical distance, doesn't he? I mean, what are some things that we need to run from? Think about that. If you think about some worldly desires, some passions of the flesh, some of these things that he talked about earlier, um, that we we discussed last week, malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, these things that are so easy to, to fall into, what are some things that we need to run from, to create distance from? We cannot glorify God if we're continually running to, to those things. We glorify God by running away from them, creating distance from them. Look what he says next. He says, Then to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. This is awesome. And, and this, is, this whole phrase is literally just... It's, it's, a, it's a long sentence that's connected with the previous one. In other words, it's basically like saying, you're going to do this in this way. So you're, you're thinking, well, how do I abstain from all this stuff? How do I run from all this stuff? Well, this is the way you do it. You, you refocus your mind, you refocus your attention on the kind of conduct that is honorable, the kind of conduct that's going to give glory to God. This is, like I was saying earlier, this is the key verse in all of 1 Peter. So if you're going to memorize, memorize a verse in First Peter, because someone's going to say, "So what's the what's the letter of Peter all about?" You guys have been you you guys have been doing uh, hearing the messages from from Peter for five weeks. So what's it all about? You say, "Well, I'll tell you. Peter's message is keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that well I'm going to get to that in a second. But this is it right here. Um, it's he, he goes on, well, let me just read the rest of it. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This sounds a whole lot like something I heard Jesus say, not literally, but something that's recorded of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said that, in the same way let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter's taking that, that same idea from Jesus, and he's saying, look, let me just kind of put it, give it to you in context of where you guys are at. Keep your conduct honorable. Let your light shine among uh, the Gentiles, before others. So when they speak as, against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, that they may see your good works, Jesus said, and they'll give glory... Here he says, glorify God on the day of visitation, and Jesus said, so that your, they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter's repeating the same idea, that the way we live our lives has a whole lot to do with how other people give glory to God or not. I mean, that is, that's is—that's the hard truth. That the way we live our lives is going to cause people to turn away from God, or that's it's going to cause them to give glory to God. Conduct in this in this uh, passage right here is really way of life. I think the NIV talks about your way of life. Some of the other English translations say way of life, and that's what that's really what <coughs> conduct is—the way you live your life, the way you live your life that others see. You know, we li- we can live one way in our homes, in private, within our families, and other people aren't going to see that. But when he's talking about conduct. Here, he's talking about the conduct that other people see. The way you live your life that everybody else sees. And then he assumes, Peter assumes that, that other people are going to accuse God's people of doing things that they shouldn't do. That they're going to say things about, well, will those Christians, or will that church. They're going to say, well, this church did such and such to us, so now we're going to treat all churches like this from now on. That's what they're going to do. They're going to say those things. They're going to make accusations. And Peter's saying, look, it's going to happen. It's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's it's going to happen. They're going to say things against you. But the only way to refute those kinds of accusations is through honorable conduct, is through the good deeds that, that Peter mentions there at the other part of the verse. The only way to refute those accusations is with the way we live our lives. This is really cool because they're going to see our deeds, Means they're going to observe them, they're going to observe them and they're going to notice something about them. They're going to notice something about the way we live our lives. They're going to notice that and that's going to cause them. I, I really believe that Peter what Peter's trying to get at here is that that's going to cause them to turn to Jesus. That's going to cause them to go, maybe there is something to what they say they believe. Because of the way they're living their lives. And maybe that's going to cause them to turn to Jesus. In other words, it's going to be a cause of their conversion to Christ. Isn't that awesome? That we have an opportunity to be a part of that? He says that they will glorify God. In other words, they will acknowledge the truth of what we believe. That God is worthy to be praised. They're going to notice that. And they're going to acknowledge that. Now before you before you get too far ahead of me and say, well, does, so is Peter just saying that as long as we give, live good lives, then it, uh, uh, other people are just going to become Christians automatically? No, he's not saying that. In fact, he's going to come back to the same idea in the next chapter. So in, a, in a two or three weeks or so, we're going to get to that, and we're going to unpack that section too. Because what did Paul say to the Romans? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't proclaim it to them? So there's a both and idea here. But I'm telling you, what we say is going to go in one ear and out the other if 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 it's not accompanied with conduct that's honorable, with the way we live our lives. God's people glorify God by living honorable lives. That's what he's saying. God's people glorify God by living honorable lives. So how should the church, I'm talking about us collectively, how should we react to being denied access to public spaces, for instance? What should we do about that? Because there are there have been legal battles throughout our nation's history about, well, prayer in school or the Ten Commandments in public places, or churches using uh, school facilities or other public spaces to to meet in. There's been stuff going on in New York City for the last three years. Um, I don't know if you followed that, but there was, you know, kick out all of the churches from all of the public schools. And then there was, the the schools kind of got together. They said, no, come on, there's hundreds of our churches. And, you know, where are we going to go? And so they kind of, so they, they overturned that. And then... Once again, earlier this spring, there was another, you uh, know, all kinds of legal stuff going on. How does God want the churches to respond? I think there's a time and place for saying, well, we have rights, we have freedoms. There's a time and place for that. But let me offer you some suggestions to do, regardless of what else happens. Number one is to be gracious. Be gracious. Because that's who we are. We have been given grace. Let's be gracious to other people. Show love. Jesus has shown love to us. God has shown, has demonstrated His love to us. So let's show love to other people. Let's show love to them. God has been generous to us. He has been generous and He's given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. So let's be generous towards other people as well. Be gracious. Show love. Be generous. I think let's focus on those things. Let's focus on how we can do those things, rather than how we can, you know, picket or write letters or litigation or whatever else. And and folks, we one of the uh, one of my um, one of the guys I I uh, I re- I really respect who's kind of right in the midst of a lot of this. Um, a lot of culture wars going on uh, in the church and in our country is a guy named Eric Metaxas and um, a few weeks ago he was was speaking to a group and he reminded them that we are so obsessed with keeping our 501c3 status rather than maybe we should put a lot more energy into the actual mission of making disciples who make disciples We get really worked up about a lot of things like our rights being taken away from us. And we forget that Jesus had his rights taken away from him. In fact, Jesus said, I'll go ahead and give up all of my rights to the throne, to the universe, and I'll humble myself and be a servant. In fact, not just any old servant. The lowest of servants. And not just the lowest of servants, but a slave. Not just a slave, but a slave who's going to die for everybody. I mean, that's the example we have in that, and we're going to get into that next week a lot more. But if that's Jesus' example for us, maybe God wants us to, to live such a way that there's no excuse. Nobody has any accusation against us because of how we live we live. But he goes on, and he starts to get really specific. This is where it gets specific for us. He says to be subject to every human institution. He says to be subject, which means... Work with me. It means having the freedom to cooperate, or not. Having the freedom to resist, or to comply, but choosing to comply. Choosing to cooperate. We have a choice in this. Are we going to be subject? Are we going to defer to others? Are we going to respect the authority that God has established? He, he gets really specific to the emperor or to the king, to the governors that the king appoints. He... How in the world, why would Peter say, show respect to the emperor, the emperor who doesn't care about Christians, the emperor who is passing laws against Christians. In fact, from, from the, the best evidence we have, Peter wrote this letter while he was in Rome during the reign of Nero. The guy who blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome, the guy who was persecuting the, the Christians and the Jews in Rome, and kicked them out of the city, put them to death, had Christians burning (coughs) on stakes so that he could light his garden parties during his, his big shindigs. This is the kind of emperor that Peter is saying, be subject to this guy. Show respect to this guy. Honor this guy. Are you kidding me? But that's exactly what Jesus has called us to do. To show that kind of respect and that kind of honor. To the people who are our enemies. He says, for this is the will the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Once again he comes back to our conduct. He says that he says to live as people who are free. Oh here we go. Okay, now we're talking about now we're talking, we live in America, we're free to vote, we're free to exercise our rights as citizens. But then, but then we read Peter, and he said, "No, you're, you're citizens of heaven. You're sojourners. You're exiles. That's not the way you. Re- That's not the way you work. So, so how do we how do we do that? I think what we do is we we are we, re- we we have to remind ourselves all the time of our identity and who we are, and we have to remind ourselves that we're free not for our own sakes, not for our own individual rights." We are free to serve Jesus. That's who we're free to serve. So we are subject to to the emperor, to the governors. We're subject to the city council. We are subject to the school district. We are subject to our state government and our national government. For the sake of the Lord. That's why. That's how. For His sake. Why? Why? But live as servants of God, he says in verse 16. Living as servants of God. Literally slaves of God. We belong to God now. He is our master. That's who we live for. Jesus said it himself in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So there it is, right there. We deny ourselves, we deny ourselves the rights. I believe that's exactly what Jesus was saying. He didn't say deny yourself pleasure. He didn't say abstain from all from all kinds of foods and all kinds of different stuff. He was saying deny the rights that you have as a, as human beings or as citizens in your wherever you're at. Deny your rights to get your own way deny the passions of the flesh the passions and desires that are self-serving and live in a different way live in a different way in fact he says do it like this honor everyone love the brotherhood that's the fellowship the the, the command there is, is really just love well I don't know how else I can say it Love the community. (laughs) That's basically what he's saying. (coughs) Love the community. Love the community of the river church. Love the community outside of the river church. If there is a believer in Christ, you're to love him. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Those are all commands. Those are all specific, like explicit commands. In the most powerful way that you could write a command... In Peter's language, he's writing it. Do it. You don't have a choice. It's a command. Straight from God, through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, to his readers, to us. That that's what we're supposed to do. God's people glorify God by showing honor to everyone. He sums it up. Honor everyone, honor the emperor, honor every human institution, literally human creation. That's, what, that's that word institution or authority. Every human creation. Honor them. How are we going to do that? I think we can follow Paul's example. Paul, the other apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, he wrote a, a beautiful letter, Philippians. Um, I love it, but what he says to the Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what had happened to him, he was in jail. He was in he was a He was a prisoner. He was suffering in Rome. But he says, "I want you to know that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." All Paul cared about was advancing the good news of Jesus. That's what he cared about. And he said, "I'll go through any suffering I'll go through anything. One passage in Corinthians, he describes everything that he suffered. The beatings and the shipwrecks and the the imprisonments. I'll go through anything as long as it serves to advance the gospel. In fact, I will rejoice when other Christians who I don't like and who are doing things with bad motivations are proclaiming Jesus too. And I will rejoice in that. Only that in every way, he said, whether in pretense, from false motivations, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That's what what Paul cared about. So, how are we going to go about this? How are we going to keep our conduct among the the Gentiles, or in other words, everybody outside of the community of faith? How are we going to make our conduct, our way of life like that? by advancing the gospel. Holding on to the vision that God has given us to transform lives, families and communities with the good news of Jesus. That's it. That's it folks. That's what we give, that's what we rejoice in. Buildings will come and go. Nations will come and go. Governments will come and go. Policies and procedures will change. But one thing is certain, the good news of Jesus will never change. And that's what we hold on to. That's what we care about. That's what people need to hear. Let me ask you a couple questions. What are some of the worldly desires, some of the passions of the flesh that you need to run away from today? (coughs) How about this? What honorable conduct... Remember some of those things that I mentioned earlier? Be gracious, show love... uh, be generous, honorable conduct like that. What kind of honorable conduct do you need to begin practicing today? Sometimes God speaks to us, and He says, "You know what? There's a there's a relationship that I want you to to get, get reconciled." He says, "There's a family member I want you to contact. There's a there's somebody that you need to say something to. There is some action." That you need to do. Because the Holy Spirit's speaking while I'm going on and on. He's speaking to you and He's saying things to you. What do you need to begin practicing today? It's too easy to let that go to let that go and think that's a good thing to think about. Maybe I'll come back to that later. You will not come back to it later. You won't. You'll forget all about it after lunch today. You'll forget all about it as your week begins. What do you need to do right now? Maybe at 11.15 this morning when we're done, or sooner, it'll be sooner, but sometime this morning, you need to pick up the phone and make something right. I don't know. What is God saying to you? What honorable conduct, what honorable life living do you need to begin practicing today? Who do you need to show honor to? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to be generous to? So let's, let's um, pray and let's sing. And I, I want to ask you guys to, to stand with me and sing and respond in the way that God has called you to respond.